Welcome to RGM. Are you in a band? Come and join us. Simply click on the RGM submission page, submit your music, and we'll sort the rest. Hello, guys. Welcome to a new week. Here down at the RGM Experience Podcast. How are we doing, guys? You all right? Hey. Had a couple of messages of people uh, asking, what's that music you play in the background? A band, a Manchester band called Sinclair. The song's called Burn Them Down. Uh, so feel free to download that. Full disclosure, I do manage the lads. Uh, that's a job and a half, managing bands, I tell you. Bloody hell. Oh, now then. I've never had kids. Um, and I don't, <laughs> I won't go anywhere near having children after managing bands. Fucking madness. Uh, but I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. Uh, yeah. So what's been going on this week in our gem world? Right, load of stuff. Proper loads of stuff this week. Have you seen online the RGM Cup that's come out? You, any band listening to this or wants the chance to support Peter Hook and the Light at Party in the Pews Festival in Macclesfield on the 2nd of May, you guys can enter now to be considered for it. Basically, nominations are going on at the Friends of RGM podcast. There's links all over our social media to, to find this, guys, okay? And the votes are well underway, so be quick, you know, to give yourself a chance. And basically, anybody can uh, nominate a band. We're not having touring bands and that kind of stuff, more established bands on it. We just, we just want uh, a little guy, someone, someone in the grassroots music that will really appreciate the opportunity. Um, and basically, anybody can vote for a band, then share it on your socials and get your friends to vote it, vote on the form. The top 16 people that get nominated will go through to a knockout stage and that's where the cup starts. And that'll be held over the RGM Twitter and Facebook pages. Um, so the RGM Cup is amongst us. If you want to win a chance to play. It doesn't cost anything as well, by the way, just so you know. People get obsessed with stuff like that. All the rules are on there as well. Only enter if you're available and can travel to Macclesfield on the 2nd of May, please, guys. I'm going to have to manage all this shit. It's going to be a nightmare. Uh, you do have to cover your own costs to travel and get there as well, just so you know, being up front. So yeah, the RGM Cup is well underway. It's it, The reach, it's had over 30,000 reach, just with everybody. Over 200 shares on the socials, so if you're in a band, feel free to join. It's got to be available for the majority of this week, so get your votes in and give yourself the best chance to have a go. Yeah, um... Last Friday, our gym live started again in 2022. I love our gym live. We were down at the castle in Manchester. Uh, we had Parve headlining, College Elite supported, Baltic we had on, and Jen Dixon, who I saw the week before at the uh, virtual pub tour gig. Just randomly, she was there at the same place. I got to meet her before I met her for the gig. Um, soloist. Travelled all the way from Middlesbrough to come and join us. And it was just a great night. 
and live music. We sold it out in the end, the gig. I love that. Uh, it's just great to have these gigs going on again. The next one's on the 26th of March, back in my home country of Sheffield, hometown, home city, whatever they call it these days. Yeah, we're at Sydney, Mat- Sydney and Matilda. The headliners are Pagans, S-O-H. We've got the Battery Farm on. We've got Sheffield Band Bloom and Damien Luke, soloist guy. Great lineup. Come and join us. So, yeah, it's been a busy week, you know, gigs. The magazine's had more hits than ever. I think the cat, I'm doing loads of more SEO work, so I'm, we're getting more views now. It's, fe- it's starting to, whatever SEO really is and how it affects the performance of a magazine website, it seems to be working. I'm cataloguing more things and keeping myself busy. It's been a great busy week. Dunno's. But I won't have it any other way. If you're in a band and you want to benefit from publishing your music out there, there's a link in this description of this podcast to Ditto, Ditto Publishing, guys. We will offer you a free trial of the service where you can publish all your music out there into the world of Ditto. Um, you keep 100% of the royalties uh, and you can have that free trial on us at RGM. There's a link in the description of this podcast. We welcome you to uh, have a little click on there and see what it's all about. They're sponsoring the podcast this month. Thanks, Ditto. I've not even started talking about the guest yet. Harry Lavin is joining us today. From Twisted Wheel. Is the wheel turning again? Uh, Johnny Brown posted a tweet about, you know, is the wheel turning again? So that's got everybody talking about, is Twisted Wheel coming back? I asked the question in the interview, of course. We talk about touring William Gallagher... Those Twitter rants that he explains, he's very opinionated, and that's why I, asked, I wanted him on the podcast. Really enjoyed the chat with Harry. Sat down, he's a band manager as well, so we both talk about the, the challenges of that. <laughs> I keep saying it like it's a nightmare. It's very rewarding, but it's not a faint, it's not, if you faint, it, not for the faint hearted is the phrase I'm looking for. Uh, but it is what it is. But so, welcome to a new week of music. A little update on what we've been doing behind the scenes here at RGM. Ladies and gentlemen, today's guest is Harry Lavin from Twisted Wheel. Take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the RGM podcast. It's me, Carl Maloney. In my yellow little room, here in my, in Shea Maloney, and with a brand new guest, it's Harry Lavin. Hi, mate, you are right? Hi, yeah, thank you for having me on. You're very welcome, mate. Um, I've seen you do interviews on other podcasts and stuff, and I think it was the first time that I heard you, you like, talk about music and that on other podcasts, and I thought, I've got to get him on, because you're, you're one of those opinionated people, aren't you? Yeah, probably... Too much my own good. Really? Can, can you be? Gets me, in a bit, gets me in a bit of hot water sometimes yeah. on, on the old Twitter, but, <laughs> you know, there's nothing that changing your name for a week can't solve. Uh, <laughs> get away from the trolls, as they say. Yeah, so I've been wanting you as a guest, and thanks for joining us today. You're very welcome in our little, um, little uh, Zoom world. Um, it's it, it. Where do I start? Where do I start with Harry? So, Tell us about your beginning and young Harry and how did you get 
uh, and consider the world of music to be uh, somewhere that you want to hang around? Well, it, was all, it all started with um, with hip-hop music, funnily enough. Aye. And I actually remember the first album that actually really struck a chord with me mm. was actually Get Rich or Die Trying by 50 Cent. <laughs> okay. Because my dad, who's now in his 50s, yeah. at the time would have been in his 30s, and he was going through a bit of a sort of um, identity crisis, if okay. you will. Because um, in the 80s and 90s, he was a um, bit of a rocker. Right. And then he suddenly went through a hip-hop phase in his 30s, so that was on in the car a lot. I don't mm. think my mum was very happy <laughs> for, me to, to, for me to be hearing those themes yes. um, lyrically at that age. But that's what really struck a chord with me. And then uh, friends at school, as you do, you drift off into your different yeah. social groups. And then I ended up really finding I had more in common with the people that were picking up guitars. Mm. Um that's where that love started. Um, and then obviously went through the sort of process of going through secondary school, joining different bands, um, just trying to write songs, you know, um, spending hours and hours just trying to get good at the guitar. Mm. Um, yeah, and that, that was the beginning really. Just it was quite a standard. How old, how old were you then? I picked up the guitar about 13. 13. Yeah, and obviously, like a lot of people from around Greater Manchester, um, learning Oasis songs, mm. the Beatles, um, yeah, and, and even I suppose you could even you could even say when you finally get onto like bar chords, then you start learning yeah. the Buzzcocks and the Clash and the Jam. Um, so that was my kind of my rite of passage. And the hip hop went on the back burner yeah. um, a bit then, but I must no bar say, chords in hip hop, is there? No, but I have. <laughs> I, do you know what I must say? In recent years, I've rekindled my love for hip hop. So, okay. so that yeah, um, and then skip a few chapters. Lo and behold, I end up um, joining the wheel on bass, and yeah. that's where everything started to get uh, rather exciting after that. Yeah, I can imagine. We'll, we'll park the wheel stories for now. Though. I want to still delve into your past a little bit. So, learning the guitar at 13, um, was it all Beatles and Oasis here? Is that the age you were? Were you 13-ish around when Oasis were about? Is that... Uh, do you know what? what, what the, time I pick, the time I picked up guitar would have been probably toward, right towards the end of Oasis. Okay. Because I'm 24 now, so um, in the grand scheme of things, in terms of Oasis, I was relatively late to it. Mm. Um, I remember buying Dig Out Your Soul, which was the last album, and that was that was actually the first Oasis album I actually bought, which was the last one, because that was the one that was mm. current. It came out. So I actually worked backwards. Um, it was think, one of the worst albums as well, that. I've, I've got them all... I, do you know what? I I actually um, I really rate that one, and it's a, it's a favourite of to ours. Be, in, to be where the there's life well. is a rate tune on it. It's like quite an Indian vibe, and to be where there's yeah, life there's some on it. some George Harrison definitely vibes some George Harrison stuff on there. Yeah, um, I, I but that album I liked the direction they were kind of going in. Yeah. So it was a shame they split up when they did. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I enjoyed Don't Believe the Truth as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, the first three albums speak for themselves, but I actually don't think people give them credit for oh, the albums they produced post post millennium. I think Ethan they Chemistry were, were good. Uh, what else were they? Yeah, yeah. They were standing on the shoulder of giants. Standing on the shoulder. Yeah, I mean, Gas Panic is just yeah. That that is um that's a special song that, and I don't think those songs get the credit that they, that mm. they deserve really. But, um, why do you think that is? Um, you could probably put it down to there's quite a lot of nostalgia at- attached to bands from the 90s. And I think the bands that were in the 90s still made a lot of good music post the millennium. But because the 90s is seen as such a, like, a sort of glorious decade mm. in the history of music, I think it can be quite easy to forget the great albums that did come out. Um, after 2000 and the 90s bands legacy wise suffer from that I think suffer from that sort of misconception that everything that was made in the 90s was the best which a lot of it was but there was still some really good music after that you know Supergrass produced some great stuff Mm. in the early 2000s Manic Street Preachers did obviously Oasis some really good Ocean Colour scenes so all them Britpop bands there was still a lot of good stuff um, after that, and they don't really get appreciated as much because mm-hmm. there's not that nostalgia attached to sort of the early 2000s, I think. Yeah. Well, one thing that I've heard people say since moving to Manchester is that they are a little bit disappointed that Manchester didn't move on music-wise quick enough after after the 90s and the Manchester scene, really. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think... Um, there, there has been a gen, there was a generation of bands I think that that did try and keep that sort of Britpop flame going, but I must say that I look I listen to like Radio Six a lot now, and you hear bands um, from Manchester. I try to think off the top of my head, but they're more tapped into the spirit of the seventies Manchester mm. stuff. So, you know, like um, Joy Division magazine. And, and that's that's been quite interesting. I think that the people often criticize the way music is now. And they say, oh well, there's no there's no real bands to believe in, there's no there's no like next big thing. Yeah. But there's there's so there is so many good bands. And I think that's why um I'm so keen, you know, for, for to get get back out there again and just mm. join in with it all because I've been been on the outside in the last two years mm. and I'm just so keen to get back in the mix again because there's some brilliant bands, some brilliant music being made and it's so diverse yeah. and so interesting um, that for the first time in my life, I'm probably not listening to hardly any of the old stuff. I'm, I'm listening purely when I'm home to new stuff mm. Cause I feel like I don't want to miss something when it comes out, which is yeah. I, I, that's the first time I've ever, I've ever felt like that really. So that's, that's really good. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I like the sound of that. Cause you can get, and, and I've lived in the nineties. I'm, I was brought up in the nineties and just, it was just my era. I, I turned 18 when Oasis played the first ever arena gig at Sheffield arena, what I went to. 
2004-ish, I think. It might be 2006, something like that. So they're, so they're, so they're my band, and I do feel really protective over them. Um, and I do think they've got a short straw when it comes to people giving them credit for all that music they did over 10, 15 years or whatever. Um, I just find it interesting to see other people's opinion on it, really, because I've banged on about it enough. I just, I just, I, I just think it's a shame that there's not going to be a final chapter just to finish it off when everybody would see that they are a great band again. Because there's a generation of people that are into Liam Gallagher now while he's doing his solo stuff that are hearing their Oasis songs live, but they're not getting the full Oasis yeah. experience. Cause Noel's I, must admit, I must admit, like, um, that, yeah, I, I kind of feel like another chapter would, would be great. Just because mm. I, I listen to Liam's new material... I think it's great, but I also love some of the stuff Noel's done as well. Mm. Some of the more experimental, really sort of like soundscapey type stuff. And I feel that as a creative force, mm. if they were to do something again, it would it would be re- it would be really quite interesting to see the results. I don't think it would be the obvious of what everyone would expect. So I, I do mm. believe they've got a lot more to give in that respect. But like, obviously. You know, I've seen Liam many times live. You know, we've been on tour with him, and yeah. it's it's the nearest thing you're gonna get. I mean, it, and now they've they've got Bonehead back in, and mm. the difference that makes as well in just just adding that extra bit of fullness in the sound. Because yeah. the, the the thing you can always say about Oasis is it's the sound is just full. You know, it's like. Well, the the drummer drummed with Oasis. Gem's in the band. He he was in Oasis. There's only Andy Bell that's not there, really, and Noel, um, and the original Griggs uh, uh, and Bonehead's back in the band now. So it's 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 close, isn't it? He's just not quite there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and if it doesn't happen again, then I suppose you know um, it's not the end of the world because they are still. Mm both at the top of the game in, in my opinion you know I, I, I believe that they've, they've got a lot to offer and whether that's separately or together you know yeah. they're both exceptional at what they do and um, there's a reason why there's people even younger than me in the teens and whatever that are discovering them and still mm. <clears throat> going to the gigs yeah and it you, you turn up to the gigs and it's such a diverse range of ages and it must, it's just an amazing thing. It's the, you know, the surpassing generations. Yeah. Well, how, how old were you, how old were you when you joined Twisted Wheel? 19. 19. So five years ago. Yeah. What was happening five years ago? 2017-ish. So before you were 19 then, you were 13, just started playing guitar. What were you doing while between the ages of 13 to 19 then, just before the... The, the the wheel started to turn. Um, so we basically started from school. We started a covers band, and yeah. um, that what, had what was the name? Names. What was the band name? There was one. It started as um, Shattered Filter. <laughs> Class, which is yeah. <laughs> as you you know, we've all got to have a bad band name, haven't we? At some part in our lives, Shattered then, Filter. Uh, that lasted, uh, and then um, we had a, there was a few things, yeah. I, I, and then 
we did cover gigs around the local pubs, which is mm. is a brilliant education. Yeah, you get that education. Sometimes you'll play to nobody, but we were quite ballsy, you know. We'd turn mm. up as kids basically, and we'd play half covers and half originals. Which, if you're going to like a pub in the middle of Oldham, and you've got a bloke in the corner going, "Oh, play one we know." Yeah, and he's waving his bloody, he's waving his big walking stick in the air, and <laughs> he's getting quite rowdy at this point. You know, you've, you've got to be quite brave to do yeah. that. But it was the experience of writing songs and taking them out, um, and it felt, you know, when at that age, it feels like you're going on tour, mm. but all you're doing is just like you're playing, you know, you're playing the pubs within a ten mile <laughs> radius, but you're playing all of them, and uh, that was a great, you know, upbringing and. And it, it, and to be honest as well, like, I look back now and I think, you know what, the, the sort of heritage of like pub rock, you know, with Dr. Feelgood and that, mm. there's still a certain appeal. And, you know, the Libertines occasionally just turn up to a pub in Camden, don't they? And, mm. and it, there's just something about playing in a pub, which it's that British rock and roll thing. It's like a sort of um, another rite of passage, I guess. And then we did start a serious band then called, um, called Shadow Palace. And um, we were, like, amazing live. We were brilliant yeah. live. Um, were you doing bass in that band as well? Have you always been No, bass? that was... I was playing rhythm guitar and fronting it in that oh, one. Oh, okay. Um, so we had Ben Warwick, who's now in Wheel, on lead guitar. Mm. So, and then we had um, my cousin Dan Gaunt on bass. Um, he's He's a quality bass player will brooks on drums who's in a band called mealtime and he's he's done amazingly well as a session drummer um he gets like millions of views on on his instagram and mm. tiktok and that and he gets loads of he's playing with loads of artists and stuff so he's absolutely smashed it and we, we were great but um it was that classic case of um we could have done with a manager really um, at the time, just someone with a bit of industry now just to push us in mm. the right direction because we were, we kind of didn't know what we were doing and yeah. we were just would just take any gig mm. even if it wasn't right and um, you know and we'd just make all the usual mistakes. We'd do some really like cheap recordings at like not very good studios yeah. and, and rush them out, not getting mastered, rush the artwork not really think about campaigns or press releases or anything like that. Mm. And um, subsequently, now a, a few years later, I, I've accumulated all the knowledge. So I, 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 if I was to do another band again, I'd know how to do it. It's mm. just at that time we were, you know, we were like 17. I was exactly the same. When I, when I were in Seven Hills and the sound yeah. before that in Sheffield, we, just, we used to play couple of times a week in Sheffield or you know just midweek and make all the mistakes that you can you know play your city too much you know water down your fans because you're playing too much you know not everybody can come you might you might get five people at all these gigs when you should just do one gig and you might get 30 people to come and see you and it's just going to be a better yeah. show L- little little things like that you pick up through the years don't you and I don't know oh, if, and like at, at the end of our kind of tenure as playing in Sheffield and you know having a go at being in a band and stuff we supported Twisted Wheel at the plug 
No way. Um, before your <laughs> days, yeah, that. I was speaking to Johnny about it um, when I interviewed him uh, a couple of years ago, I think now. Um, Rick, we're in the band because I can just remember a really blonde kid in it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that, and that was a long, long time ago. We haven't played for 10, 12 years. So to, to have supported Twisted Wheel at the plug that many years ago and know that the band's been around that long, it must have been quite intimidating. Well, you tell me, what, what was it like joining the band? And, you know, they've always had a bit of a reputation. How, how was it going into that new experience and joining them? Um, it, was, it was fine for me personally because I'd known Johnny for quite a while. Yeah. Um, so even when I was, like, sort of quite young at 18, he only lived around the corner from me. Right. So we always used to, we'd occasionally, you know, we'd go, I'd go up to his, um, he, had, he had like a, a little shed at the end of the garden with mm. like guitars in and a couple of sofas and stuff. Mm. And I'd go in there and we'd just like talk about music and, and just jam and stuff. And um, so I was always like a fan of the band. So when I joined the band, I already knew all the songs. Yeah. So like yeah. that's just really helpful mm. um, when you join any band. And uh, And I think when I did join, what gave me confidence was, you know, John knew I wrote songs mm. and he said, you know, I want, I want you to write songs for the band. Um, you know, cause we, we want to like, it's kind of up the ante creatively. So it's not just relying on him mm. to write the songs and showing everyone else. He, you know, he wants some more input. Mm. And I was obviously delighted to do that. Because, I mean, bass wasn't my natural instrument. Um, I didn't actually have a bass when I joined the band. <laughs> I was borrowing until um, until I bought one, like just second-hand off a bloke in Oldham, just yeah. like classic Fender Fender Precision bass, which is the only one I've ever really Red played. Red and white? To be honest. Um, white and black. Oh, okay, yeah. white and black. Okay. Sorry, the cat's just biting me <laughs> He's <you> can see. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> He's probably heard the news about that Kurt Zuma thing, and now, now I, I saw that on Sky Sports earlier. How mad's that? Uh, my my wife came in and says, "Look, have you seen this case? This Kurt Zuma's been kicking a cat, and he's like, she's like, what? You are? It can't be." I said, "Yeah, he's dropped it and then booted it across. Thing his mates put it on fucking line <laughs> as well, right, mate? Uh, and now he's in some right shit." Oh, uh, I was, I was. I'm on the cat side, by the way. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> as a as a cat lover and stuff, and yeah. a, a, just an, an animal lover in general, yeah. I, it made me feel really upset. So the first thing I did when I heard the news was I, I ran in and I ran and gave our cat like a big hug. Yeah, just reassured him that we're not all you know we're not all like Kurt Zuma. Yeah, <laughs> I've got two cats myself, Rita and Fernando. Uh, um, absolute nightmare. Wouldn't have them in any other way. <laughs> but yeah, oh, that, that's that's, it, that, well, that's a yeah, that's a, just a strange thing to. I know, but it's like, you know, the, <laughs> what, I don't know what goes through. I mean, professional footballers at the moment. Yeah. They're not, they're not painting, themselves, painting themselves in a good light, really, are they? Um, I'm not saying, obviously, you can't throw them all into one category, but, no. uh, you know, everything that's been covered out in the news and stuff, uh, it's just shocking, isn't it? It's yeah. just, you'd wonder what goes on in these people's heads uh, and how, how the brains morph into that mindset we'd love oh. to have him on the podcast <laughs> oh i'd love to i'd love, <laughs> to, love to have him, a chat I'd, love to, him. I'd love to give him a good drilling yeah that's, that's for sure. yeah, my good yeah 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 and um 
Yeah, we lost my train of thought there. Cats. Yeah, we've done cats. Where yeah, were we? we? Oh, got, yeah, uh, you just... <laughs> we got lost a bit there, didn't we? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, it's good, though. It's all good. Uh, yeah, um, just joining Wheel um, in Johnny's garage, learning the songs. He wants you to, you know, step up and, you know, he's challenging you to make music in this historic band that you've joined. Were you, were you part of the band when they supported Oasis or did you join after that? No, I was after that. So the, so the mm. first tour I did was the Snakes and Ladders tour, which was mm. 2018. Um, and that was a baptism of fire because I'm sure that tour was about 30 dates, mm. um, which is a long... You don't see my band, You don't see many bands doing really long tours these days. Mm. Uh, ow! You just bit my foot. Attention <laughs> <laughs> to um, Yeah, so it was a baptism of fire, that. And then... Um, I suppose after that, at the end of that tour, then we we supported Liam at Finsbury Park mm. and at Old Trafford. Um, so that was a mad like first year because 2017 we were just building up to things. We were just in mm. the rehearsal room, um, so there weren't really anything going on majorly then. Um, but um, yeah, 2018 was just a full on year. And it was mm. that mad that we even did a um, we even did a second tour. So we did that mm. thirty day tour, and then we did the um, the Johnny Guitar tour, then mm. which was another like fifteen dates or something on top of the ones we'd already done um, alongside the festivals we mm. did. So that first year was was hellishly full on, um, and I suppose like you say. If you if you're gonna if you're gonna join a band um, and sort of get thrown in the deep end, then I suppose that's probably the biggest example. So you how can how get, did you really. take to it then? So like like a couple of dates into it, was it like was it were you okay with it? You know, did you just take it in your stride? How how did you mentally deal with this fucking thing that's happening around you when you're new to it? Well, cert- on certain days, I'd be like um, I'd be like a kid in a sweet shop. Mm. Um, just absolutely loving it and um, having a having a good rider mm. you know actually you know actually mm. being asked before at all what do you want on the rider <laughs> like oh well I'll have uh, yeah I'll have 12 Guinnesses per gig that'll yeah. do me <laughs> yeah. and uh, by the end it's all you'd accumulate quite a few to take home with you um, <laughs> but that was good um, but the word days obviously and it's quite a topsy-turvy band in that respect yeah. Um so you know there were days where it would would be tough. There was mm. a, that first time I remember there being a few disastrous gigs, um, specifically Stoke, which I recently got reminded of, um, not intentionally, but I think Johnny posted um, one of his new solo tracks mm. on Instagram, and there was someone posted a really like salty comment. Mm saying um just for, ran out the blue randomly saying oh what what a waste of space this guy is or something uh, we went to support these in stoke uh, two two years ago and uh, they turned up late uh and then they only did like half a set and then they were just being general like generally annoying and, uh, and it just reminded me i was like oh yeah that was really bad that gig <laughs> And that, that that was like when Adam was he was on drums at the time he he he, he like left that night yeah. and then he came back the next day for the for the remainder of that tour and then he subsequently went on to leave it at that tour anyway but we, we were arguing on stage 
Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's funny how you get these little reminders just occasionally of like, oh yeah, we did actually have some bad gigs amongst all the good things that happened. There was occasionally an absolute stinker thrown in there. So did you have well, the did you have the tour with Liam? Were, were you on the tour with Liam when you joined? Was that like about to happen, or did that did you find that out after you joined? Um, it was just before I think we announced the first headline tour. There was sort of rumblings from Johnny was going like, "Oh, I think we might have we might have got on Old Trafford and things oh, apart for the okay. summer." Mm. And that when that came to fruition, we were all obviously ecstatic. How um, how do you physically like? What's the process of finding out that you might be sporting? Liam Gallagher in oh, Finsbury Park. Just, what, 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 how's it filtered down to the band? How's, how's that happen? Um, I know he, he, he had a, a good relationship with Liam in the past when he did spot Oasis, didn't he, I suppose? So yeah. They've got that it history. As, it was good as well because we do know that Liam like actually fought to have us on because mm. what the trouble we had was there was... Um, more current bands that were releasing material around the time and doing mm. really well and properly on the up that were vying for those spots mm. and promoters, managers, and that. There was a lot of there was a lot of people behind the scenes pushing to have these bands on. Mm. But when Liam knew we were coming back with a new EP, which was the Johnny Guitar EP, mm. he 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 barely did push personally to have us on, and we like we'll never forget that we'll always be like, eternally grateful um for that and that made it a bit sweeter as well i think that made it just that bit more special just because wheel had been around about just under 10 years maybe mm. about 10 years at the time so to be given that second bite of the cherry was just amazing and amazing for john as well because i think john did deserve did deserve that after yeah. so much trouble um, and to come back with that Johnny Guitar EP, which got the number one in the physical charts mm. and stuff. And it just showed that there was still an appetite for the band yeah. and there was, it still had legs in it. Um, so that, that, that period around the, the EP coming out and Old Trafford Finns Repart was just a really special time because it just gave the band a new lease mm. of life and just, you know, it's give us, you know, it's, it's give us a future, you know, creatively, a bit mm-hmm. of a sort of pass to go, right, go on now, um, go and make more records, play more gigs. Yeah. Um, and just, just keep going because, you know, um, we're like a slightly less, well, a lot less prolific version of the fall. Okay. We just trud that just trudges on through the shite, you know. We just keep plow, keep plowing on despite all the the member changes and stuff. Um, well, that, I don't, good, I don't blame him. And like you know, when the last time I spoke to Johnny in real life, when we were both in the same room, is uh, we were doing an interview, and you were just about to go on the European tour with Liam. And at the end of the tour, that's what that tour, well, that's when COVID hit, and you had this album planned and all that kind of stuff. So let's just start with you know, there's, there's so many things there to unpack a little bit that I've just mentioned in just a little sentence. What just, just touring with Liam, what was it like out there, you know, out in Europe playing arenas? What was the environment like and any stories to tell us from it? 
really looked, I think the first thing was we were really well looked after by mm. all the crew. Um, and, you know, just everything from, you know, the, the catering um, to the tour management, mm. just everything. So we're really grateful for that. Um, security were always really sound with us, kept, you know, kept us out of arm's way and stuff. Um, I mean, in terms of actual big stories, I don't think there was too much. I mean, Eric Cantona turning up, there on a motorbike <laughs> to the last gig in Paris was pretty cool. I mean, I'm I'm a Liverpool fan, and even I was like looking at him in absolute awe because <laughs> we were just outside the back door. You know, it's getting a bit of fresh air, yeah. um, and suddenly this lone man all in leathers turns up at the back gate. Is that just on the back of the arena type thing? Yeah, on the back of the arena yeah. on his own, no escort or anything. Yeah. It, this is in Paris, and I'm thinking. Who's this guy? Who's this guy turn up like Batman or something? <laughs> and uh, yeah, and he pulls the helmet off, and lo and behold, it's, it's Eric Cantona. And I'm like, and he just like strolls in. I'm yeah. like, but that's cool. Did he not like, like nod at you or, or did he just like straight past you? Did um, he acknowledge you in any way at all? I think, I think the other lads got a bit of a picture with him and an autograph because right. they're United fans. Right, I'm, like right, the, okay. I'm like the sole Liverpool fan. To be honest, I'm never one to go for pictures and autographs anyway with, with people. I kind of just let, I think the people like that get mithered enough <laughs> and they don't want like six foot from me, like going over to them, <laughs> like, towering, towering over <laughs> them and uh, making them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so no, that was good. But um, yeah, thinking of just general other stories, but I posted like a few little clips on on mm. my Instagram that are still up there now with just funny little things that happened, like Johnny riding his suitcase down a really long <laughs> ramp into a straight into the arena <laughs> in a, in Milan and stuff like that. There was no major that I can remember, but I have got the mind of a sieve sometimes, yes. so I'm probably I am probably forgetting some some major. Did Liam major ever give you any up. advice? Any any stories about Liam or all like that? Um. Liam kind of keeps himself to himself, yeah. um, which I totally respect. Cause I know he gets mired a lot. Mm. Um, so he generally stay in his hotel and then he'd come out in a blacked out van, mm. uh, get on stage and, he, and then come off stage and he'd go back to wherever mm. he was. But, um, you know, Paul, Paul Gallagher really looks after us. Mm. And uh, I got on really did, well on a, a couple of episodes ago. I had Paul on. Um, yeah, he had, he had he, a few he, words he, to say. He, 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 proper... he had a few words to say about me, didn't he? Uh, being oh, yes, fan. yes, he did, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I've just remembered well, that. Yeah, he did, yeah. Oh, have you yeah, listened so to you, it? Imagine that, sort of, um, <laughs> imagine, imagine that sort of banter on a daily basis. Uh, you have to be sharp. Oh, God, yeah. as soon as I phoned him, he was like, having a, because I called him Gallagher, and he stresses that it's Gallagher. Straight away, his yeah. surname. So straight away, you well, just it, straight into banter, and he's like, "Take your piss out of Yorkshire and that." And it, it, it just, it was, it was so much fun that interview. I, I, I think he's great. Yeah, he is. He is great. And um, but it's, it's like you know, I wouldn't ex- It wouldn't be within the the northern spirit to <laughs> um to be nice about people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Um, but that, that's it. Yeah, he did. Hmm. He, he really looks looks after us and. Uh, the one thing we did have was he'd time us every night mm. just to make sure we weren't going 
going over or under. Right, okay. Like, you need to plan your set properly. Yeah. And, um, so how, how long did you get? Yeah, it was about long? half an hour a night. Right. But us being us, you know, it, some nights it'd be 28 minutes and then somehow it'd be like 35. Yeah. The, the next the next gig i can remember him telling me because those big gigs they are planned down to the second aren't they Every oh they are watertight and yeah. if, if it's one thing we're not it's watertight. <laughs> it's yeah. absolutely watertight um <laughs> that must have been a new discipline to learn then you know like having to be somewhere at an exact time because somebody's going to be guiding you wherever you like getting you in the right place and making sure you're on it at the exact time so the yeah. show can finish at the right time and stuff and that's it. And we even tried for the first time ever in-ear monitors, which I absolutely hated mm. and I still hate now. Because um, I, I, like I like to feed off the energy on stage mm. and I feel like you're kind of isolated from that with those in-ears. Mm. So that was another thing that I tried for the first time. I didn't particularly like it. I mean, those big gigs are amazing. Playing those like mm. arenas and stuff is, is pretty special. But where where we'll are probably most at home is you'd probably rich size mm. not because with the, the smaller stuff which we play a lot of that around that sort of three four hundred cap on average most places we're good we're good in those places but sort of i think sort of like rich size is where mm. where it really works with and i don't know if that's always been the case but if you look at a song like um some of the earlier punkier stuff, you know, like, oh, what have you done? Choose a weapon. Mm. They're suited to the really small club type things because they're, they're in that punk spirit. But the newer stuff like DNA um, and Black and Blue um, and Nomad Hat that are quite quite big anthemic, uh, anthemic sounds, they're really suited to the mm. bigger venues. So the happy medium for us is kind of like your Ritz level. But that... that did, it's good to play those good to play those arenas because coming being cut from the cloth that we're cut from, mm. you know that not many people are lucky enough to get that opportunity. So mm. like I say, it's another thing we're just really grateful for to be able to give him the opportunity to do that. And for, you know, in Johnny's case, the opportunity to be able to do that again after so many years, you know, mm. of not doing it in between the previous stuff with Oasis. So yeah, it was really good for us. Just all around. But another, I think Twisted Wheel must have been one of the biggest hit bands post-COVID because you had the album coming out straight after the European tour with Liam. Literally, I think I, I was in Italy and I got back the weekend when it all started kicking off and got a phone call from work saying, you've been in Italy, have you seen news? And it's all kicking off in Italy, this mm. COVID thing a couple of years ago. And I, I can just remember seeing uh, Wheel coming back off tour and then you you were due to be on Soccer AM that got cancelled because yeah, yeah, of COVID. Yeah. You had so many big things planned to move on to. It must have been it must have been t- a tough time that for the for you guys. We built up a lot of resentment to the situation, and I mm. think um, it, it was interesting the way the the sort of narrative changed because when we got back from Italy and Soccer AM had been cancelled mm. and the album was coming out the week before lockdown or whatever it was. Um, even even in between getting back off the tour at the end of February and between the album coming out, we still did this thing about this virus. We were like, mm. oh, it'll never, you know, it'll, it'll never, <laughs> you know, it'll never come over here. Mm. It'll never, it'll never end up being very serious or yeah. anything. 
And I remember going, getting back off the tour and Talker M got cancelled and Mike Sweeney rang me up and he said, do you want to come on the radio and just talk about the tour and, mm. and um, Soccer M getting cancelled and what you think about the situation? So one of the first questions he asked me was, so are the band all in isolation? And I went, what do you mean are in isolation? I said, I went to, went to the pub like yesterday, like, what are you on about? Because we're like, what, what, what are you on about? Like, yeah. There's yeah. no, what crisis, what crisis? Yeah. You know what I mean? So... And no, and I suppose when everything did happen, we built up a lot of resentment. Um, I think it hit it, it, it hit me and Johnny really hard. Mm. Um, Johnny, it, from a health, uh, from like a physical and mental health mm. point of view, but me mentally, um, I struggled with it. And you'll probably know from my Twitter and stuff like that. Um, and that's probably my journalistic instincts kicking yeah. in because obviously I'm a keen journalist on the side as yeah. well that I was kind of trying to question everything mm. not going down the realm of conspiracy theories but no. going just saying at the time uh is the ro- the road we're taking here is it is it proportionate um and is it the right course of action to mm. take and I and I believe really that amongst the kind of musical world kind of felt a bit alone in that mm. Because what, 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 were, found, what I, I didn't, I can't remember what you put on Twitter yourself there. What were your thoughts at that point? It was just too many restrictions at the time for. Well, when what, we when we went into lockdown, it was kind of just seen as gospel that that mm. should be the course of action, and I didn't right. say that wasn't the course of action at mm. the time. I just said, "Have we fought this through?" Mm. I don't think enough people were just simply asking that question. You know, is this the best way? And what has frustrated me and it frustrated me throughout the whole thing was there was just a massive gap in between the, the opinions in the music industry. So for example, you had Van Morrison and Eric Clapton very much on the sort of semi cranky sort of mm. <laughs> like they had their opinion, but fair enough. They had an opinion and that, that's it. And then on the other side, you know, without naming names, you had a lot of the do-gooders, as I like to call them, that were sort of spending all the time on social media preaching to people how to behave right. and what they should do and how they should be following this, that and the other. Mm. Um, the reason why my perspective was different to a lot of musicians is because a lot of my other work I do is with um, like young people in mm. deprived areas of Oldham. So I saw the impacts mm. on these families and a lot of my work involves giving them a break from their the tough conditions that they mm. live in and giving them, trying to help them back into education and stuff. And a lot of them, you know, they get, they get abused off parents and social services are involved and it's just a mess. Yeah. And the thing that lock, the side of lockdown that I'd say a lot more of the sort of middle class musicians were, were not seeing was that, there was in the like areas such as Oldham, what families and kids were going through was just absolutely atrocious. Being mm. stuck in those cows in you know in cramped council flats, and mm. for that reason, I had to thought, well, I've got to be quite strong on this because I owe it to the kids that I work with to go at least, you know, write to my MP mm. and just make my feelings clear on it, and just mm. try and encourage others as well who felt that way about you know. 
there's obviously got to be with anything a balanced approach um, but I, I still don't think we've reached the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the long-term damage mm. and the mental health um, the mental health sort of I'll call it an avalanche because it will be an avalanche and yeah. it is an avalanche and um, so yeah that's that's where we were kind of that's why my mind has been kind of out of things as your, um, has your opinion changed over time um i'm i'm just like i say as a keen sort of journalist on the side i do like to look quite sort of forensically into things mm. so as i'm i'm reading the stuff that's coming out now we can start to assess long term damage and it, it is appearing that a lot of the action that was taken was disproportionate. Mm. But obviously, we've got to wait. We've got to wait till more of the social yeah. studies come through and stuff. Um, but but my opinion is we've we've let young people down more than anything. And mm. um, that's that's going to be the biggest the biggest concern for me. I've working with young people. It used have, to be a lot of like as soon as schools went back. And COVID spiked. There was quite a lot of because my wife's a teacher. Yeah, my uh, my, my um, wife to be from next year there is yeah. also a teacher as well. Yeah, they, they always seemed a lot of pressure, and 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 you could kind of feel it bubbling just through the rhetoric of the governments, just saying you know before schools were coming back. It's kind of a lot of blame was put on kids for spreading it and making things worse mm-hmm. again when the kids they're going to school. Um it didn't feel look like you've used the word proportionate mm. it's an important word and it? it it didn't feel that the the they were blaming kids for the problem it felt like at some points and and that that's been a common a common tactic throughout mm. it's like gaslighting almost mm. um the way the way that governments have behaved um you know it's you know it's not us that have the problem you're the problem mm. it's you've got the problem and I'd, 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 and I would argue that that people have to have to get by in life. You know, people have to make a living, and um, we've all had. You know, I've got I've, I've got vulnerable relatives, mm. you know, who I couldn't go and see. But you know, there was times when I had to I had to go and break what were rules to go and help a friend who was, you know, on the edge. And I'm and and I, and anyone and um, and anyone will there'll be thousands, millions of people in that same situation that had to break these yeah. arbitrary rules to to just basically just put the family first and the needs of the family first. And I'll mm. never fault anyone for that. Um, so that that that's why I didn't appreciate the lecturing mm. from certain high-profile artists because I was like, you don't know what it's like. You live in a massive house in the country. You've got millions in the bank, um, and you're preaching to people about about sticking to these rules and stuff. I said, some people have no choice but to not stick to them. Some people have got to do what they've got to do, and and it's not up to millionaire rock stars to be telling people how to behave yeah. in in situations like that. So that's what really got on my nerves from a, in a music mm. world perspective, yeah. um, and. I don't think I've ever unfollowed so many people on Twitter than I have done in the last two years because it it was just getting on my nerves. And Ian Brown was getting a lot of stick um, for the opposite stuff. But 
you got to remember, you know, we live, we do live in a society where it's it's fine to have an opinion. And, you know, free speech is genuinely something that ought to be cherished. And if Ian Brown's opinions offend you, then prove him wrong, debate him. Mm. Don't don't try and get him shut down or cancel him. You know, if there's opinions that need to be challenged, challenge them. And if you disagree with them, then then be prepared to put your point across and say why you're right and they're wrong. And that's what there isn't enough of. There's this there's this innate sort of instinct within people to instantly shut down opinions yeah. that they disagree with. Mm. And we've got to move away from that in music and it just in politics and in society in general. It was a, it was a bad time when they uh, banned Donald Trump off the internet. That was kind of like the start. Of worms. Yeah. They opened a can of worms. By trying to censor people. That. and You fire up. You fire up the supporters. Mm. You know, Donald Trump was never, never the right man to, to, to no. run any country, never mind America. No, absolute shithouse. And, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But you can't stop people having an opinion by... No. You know, social you media companies down. shutting them down. And yeah, and, and it's going on now. It's going on with Jimmy Carr at the minute. It going on with Joe Rogan. The the big corporate structures that that aren't able to um restrict or manage some kind of like uh, conversations that are out there in the world, they don't like it. And yeah, and, and, and you are seeing these big companies even even Joe Rogan, for example, there's more and more shit coming up online. These big companies are are, are trying to are trying to break him, to cancel him, to 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 mm. to, to, to close his voice, and he's got more followers than CNN. It's ridiculous, yeah, yeah. And, and these big companies have got something. They're scared of these people that have got opinions that have got their own platforms that can't be cancelled early, and that's just how it should be. I I, I applaud things like that. I like that. Yeah, I think that the, the the idea, you know, behind big tech controlling the narratives of public opinion, mm. that to me is probably the most frightening thing of all. Yeah. Um, because as you can see in the last couple of years, people are very easily manipulated by propaganda. And I've been lucky enough to actually mm. <clears throat> speak to people in person that actually knew what it was like to live in the Soviet Union. Mm. And the and people don't realise the parallels of, mm. bet, uh, not, uh, sometimes governments, con, you know, controlling of the COVID situation, but also how big tech try and influence people through fear. Mm. And there are things for people to be scared about sometimes, but sometimes they play on this idea and it's true that people read headlines mm. and the nuance, the nuance of things is just kind of dug underground. And that's why we're in such a dangerous situation because when you take away debate, nuance debate, and you replace it with sort of this sort of clickbait headline based outrage mm. world, then we're heading into some serious territory, and there was there was a certain element of that with with the Brexit thing going back, yeah, 
um, you know, and I, and I always said at the time, you know, I, I never, I don't, a lot of people feel really angry towards people who voted for Brexit. I, I absolutely don't at all um, because, you know, people vote on principle at the end of the day. And if you want to vote for self-governance, that's fine. But the point is that if you use the right marketing, and the right and headlines that strike a chord with people, then you will influence mm-hmm. hearts and minds. And um, and I feel like influencing hearts and minds is okay when used for the right purposes, but I don't feel like it has been in the last couple of years. I feel like we're going down a bad path. Yeah, and it, it, it's something to be aware of. We are heavily uh, propaganda too, uh, if that's yeah. the right kind of saying. And even like... Like if if I search something on Google, on my computer, and you search something on Google on your computer, the same question it, it could come back with a completely different answer depending on what it knows about you, and and Google have got that power to be able to control and send you down a path that you're not aware you've been sent down a path. I am because I'm quite savvy to it, but a lot of people are vulnerable in that way, and they do, and they don't either believe it, or they either don't care, they just don't see it they just think it's just a google search yeah it's people take things at face value Mm. and um it goes back to how people are educated now being taught being taught what to think rather than how to think yeah yeah and if you if you go through life and you take everything at face value not just on the news but everything you're told off everyone Mm. Even even on like a personal level, I think sometimes you've got to question people's motives. Um, it's it's really it's really important that, that the future of all education is based around encouraging young people how yeah. how to think. You know, we're trying to nudge everyone in the same direction all the time, mm. trying to create this one grand narrative. And it's it's important to have debate. It's important to have an adversarial mm. environment. Because nobody learns anything when there's just one grand narrative. Mm. You have to have different perspectives debating each other. And if we if we do continue down the path that we're going down, then we're just going to become more and more like these one state countries, you know, like you know, like China. Mm. Because people will be so easily manipulated into one belief system that you, There'll be no, there'll be no even, you know, not even an inkling um, in anyone's minds, you know, or shall we, you know, is this right? Do we need to resist against this? So I, I do worry, but I do meet young people from the estates of Oldham who are yeah. so switched on to this yeah. and they see what's going on. Good. And it, it, just, it just fills me with a bit of encouragement mm. and the way they've educated themselves is just amazing. It's it's amazing that they've they've gone out and they've they thought, you know what, I've not got a lot in life and I want to find out what are the powers that are holding me down. Why mm-hmm. why am I not got a lot in life? And it's 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 a it is a it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It is. And do you like because I know you've you're bringing your own solo music out. Do you do you draw on this experience that you've had helping out the <clears throat> the kids of Oldham? Where do you see the solo project? that you've created where do you see that taking you um at the moment 
it was a lockdown thing. Um, mm. So I recorded a lot of it at home um, using whatever equipment I could cobble mm. together. And I did, I'd go down to Vibe Studios where we did Satisfying the Ritual um, and I'd get Ben from Wheel to do the drums, Dean had produced, um, I would do the vocals down there as mm. well. It was a lockdown project and the things I was writing about was just how I was feeling. Um, so the first single that um, that will be out hopefully at the end of February is called Where's Home? And obviously, from a literal point of view, mm. I'm sat at home, so I know where home is <laughs> from a literal point of view. Mm. But I was saying it from a metaphorical point of view in terms of the the environment. Mm. Where's what you know? Because Oldham used to be a great town. Where where's it gone? You know, you, mm. there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of kids in gangs now. It's culturally deprived. Mm. Um, the thriving nightclub scene is is gone. Um, you know, the days of the Inspiral Carpets and, and all of them being in the Premier League and stuff like that. Um, mm. That's gone. So you look round and it's just like, it's an industrial wasteland, uh, post-industrial wasteland. Mm. And I think that's the sort of thing I've been drawing on. Mm been thinking a lot about about that and then you know it's it's e- i find it easier to write about stuff like that than than looking too too much internally i know some people like to write about love and relationships and that and maybe as i get a bit older and more mature maybe that'll will come but i think the solo thing i definitely see it being more of a sort of commentary on the experiences of the of the people around me rather than just myself mm. um and in terms of where do i take it then i've purposely not booked any live dates yet mm. um because these songs are full band songs so i don't yeah. have a band together for it so i'm going to get the first single out and then it'll be followed by another single then an ep um and then i might think about see if there's any appetite for it mm. for people to come and see it live okay um and it's not the end of the world if not i'm quite happy doing the uh the peter gabriel stay at home sort of recording <laughs> thing for now um and just and just wait till the time's right well you, know? you might be too busy because johnny put a tweet out the other day saying is the wheel turning can you comment on that in any way at all I can um I can in a certain sense, but we're dealing with a lot of hypotheticals uh, at the moment. Right, okay. So me, me and Johnny have been speaking about the band again mm. and um going meeting him this week, but mm. not really for anything, just to catch up, play yeah, a few yeah. guitars, mm. have a chat, see if we fancy so Yeah. Um you know, it'd be nice. I'm I'm up for it, you know. Mm. I'm up for doing it, getting back on, getting back on the train again. Um, so if it works for the other lads, then why not? You know, let's do it. Let's because we didn't want to. We didn't want to come back during COVID time and after yeah. hundred gigs for them all to get cancelled. So we've, uh, <laughs> yeah. we, you know, we think the right time may may be approaching possibly. So I'm yeah. I'm definitely up for it. If uh, was it if but, anyone else? Do you need like a bit of like 
space and time just to get to know each other again? Did it ever get fractured when things stopped for a bit? Um, I remember at the end of the sort of European tour with Liam, I think we spend so much time together in a mm. month, a month in a van, you know, you, you will. Oh Christ, I couldn't imagine. No, it'd just been murder at the end. I would have thought everybody's like exhausted from all the travel and, you know, the high life. Yeah. That's it. So you, you, you know, you, you build up a really long, long term. It's really beneficial because you know mm. each other inside out. Mm. You know how to push it. You know, you know how to more, more importantly, how to not push each other's buttons <laughs> okay. going yeah. forward. You know, um, and the, the the amazing thing is, you know, the best bit of teamwork we ever did was getting all them athletic from League Two to the Premier League title on on FIFA. That was oh, in the there you go. So we, you know, we worked together, passed the remote round, and that is some serious, that is some intense FIFA play. I can imagine. Way. Yeah, I've tried it with Sheffield you know, United a few times. <laughs> that it was literally sometimes it'd be like six six hours constant of just <laughs> going through the Alps. Just Giorgio like, Royal. Oh yeah, and, you know we had <laughs> managing them you know, up to the top. Getting you know getting players in you know that were just slightly past the best, but you know yeah. you know bit you know Peter Crouch and uh, <laughs> you know we even got Deli Ali I think that oh, was pretty good Ruben Nevers you yeah. know so just it, but that sounds really <laughs> insignificant, but in actually it's really significant because it's another it's a bond yeah. it brings the bond your bond it brings you closer together that sort of thing, um, but at the end yeah there was a bit I think. Um, there was a bit of tension, actually, I remember. Do, do you know Stephen Lynn, the artist? Um, I who did our album it. artwork. You might have met him. Um, but we were coming mm. back. Um, it was. It, I think John stayed in France for a bit. But I'm better we, with faces than names. So I'll, uh, yeah. after, after our chat, I'll go and check him out. I'm sure I'll, I've seen him. I've, I've probably got him on Facebook or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we had a... Um, on the way back, getting on the ferry in the van... Uh, I think Stephen made, I can't remember what the joke was now, but it was probably quite distasteful, but I, I probably found it funny because I'm quite into like, you know, non-politically correct humour. Like that, that's my bag, you know, the Harry Harry Enfield and yeah. stuff and all that. That's my uh, sense of humour. Um, but our driver at the time, um, I can't, do you know what? I can't remember his bloody name. <laughs> he he took, took, didn't take it well. Yeah. So it was kind of that sort of mischievous boys thing sat in the back where we're all kind of sat there with our heads down. <laughs> um, so yeah, it kind of, the, the sort of, the tour kind of ended with us not, where we're all kind of a bit like, oh, we've, uh, this is a bit tense. Yeah. Like, so like, you know, Ed, you could say something and someone would just take it the wrong way. And that's just a small example of where it was going. Um, but if COVID had not happened, we'd have brought the album out, probably toured it. But at least we would have had the break in between the European yeah. tour and the you know the UK tour. Um, but we had the break that we didn't want, which was mm. the two-year COVID yeah. break. So we've we've you know we've spent enough time apart now to let any wounds heal. Not that I think there was any serious wounds, to be honest. No, uh, just petty little things yeah it's mate thing in it it's just like a band of brothers just you know just need a bit of time to refine that energy and focus again yeah. i suppose is that is that That's the it. right way of saying it i think yeah you know you need diplomatic 
you need that time. You need that time. It's like in anything, you know. Um, you know, even in your, your close relationships mm. with your friends and your family, you know, you, it's important to have your own time and own space. Yeah. To think, you know, you don't always to be on top of people, then you know, on top of you, you know, mm. you, humans need, you know, peace and quiet time and space, yeah. um, just to just to function and be happy. So that's that's what we we've had two years. Not saying we've all been functioning happy in the last two no. years. Um, but it's been nice for me because I've moved into an, a new house with mm. my fiance. We love it, you know. Um, you know, got the cat. Yeah. Uh, we've done it all up you know so you know life's really good you know with yeah. with or without even with or without music you know life's really nice it's really good you know we love it here um, so if you're happy in your home life then I suppose that'll make you more inclined to yeah. you know be more you know get back invested in the other things that you love doing as well so that's really been helpful for me um, and I've calmed down now with the the anger and resentment of the last two years, as much as I still mm. feel angry about it, I am trying now to, to refocus yeah. back into more positive, positive mindset now, get back onto the music, refocus, re-energize, get back playing again. And Never leaves you the love of music, does it? Whatever you go through in your life, it's just no. always going to be there uh, through the good and the bad times. Um, nice little way That's to end it. the chat today. I think there it's just, that's what music does to people, isn't it? You can it never leaves you if it affects you and grabs you. And that's it. Yeah, and that... you know, it's if if um if I didn't have music in my life, I'd be a lot more miserable for it in mm. the sense that, you know, we all know the power of what it can do. It can it can get you out of a hole mentally. Mm. Um, you know, if you go, if, I mean, I don't go to the gym, but people go to the gym, you know, they, they have motivational music on. People put music on to help them sleep. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going to gigs is, you know, you'll never beat live music, you know. I went to the gym but, this morning with a Twisted Wheel album on, mate. There you go. What an hour Gee, that was. High energy until uh, <laughs> until the new album came on. And, uh, <laughs> there's a few slow ones, few slow ones in there. But yeah, mate, so, really appreciate your chat and your frank. Uh, just, uh, you know, I knew you were going to be a good guest, and uh, I've really enjoyed you know spending this hour with you. Uh, wish you all the best for your solo stuff. Who knows what's going to happen with Wheel? Just watch this space, um, and yeah, just wish you all the best, mate. Oh no, but. Like genuinely appreciate you having me on, and yeah, good to see you. You it, too, but... virtually. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah. Cheers, man. Thank you. Thanks, Harry. Hope you enjoyed that chat. Got very deep, and I think the deepness and the, the politics and uh, the opinions of what it's like there out in the real world was my favourite part of that chat. Really enjoyed it. Got a lot of credibility, Harry. I like the guy. I like for everything about what he stands for and what he's trying to achieve. Young lad. It looks like Twisted Wheel coming back, doesn't it? Let's be honest. And on all the stories, thanks, Harry, for joining us for the podcast. Very much appreciated. And I'll see you around for a pint one day again. Yeah, so that's another episode of the podcast. Next week, there's going to be another guest, of course. 
I'm not going to announce it. I'm going to leave you hanging a little bit. I just think it makes more of an impact when you um, when it's not announced. Yeah. Oh, and we're back on Mondays as well. We just tried out Sunday last week. I like it on Mondays. Let's start off the week with a new podcast. Let's crack on. So feel free to join us on our gem throughout this week. We've just brought out a review of the Skinner Brothers. Shade from Manchester. Loads of new stuff coming up this week. We've got our gym recommends coming up. Loads of new content for you to enjoy and to share with the world. Keep loving music, guys. Keep going to gigs. The music industry still needs you out there. It's still not how it should be. Um, but we appreciate everybody for joining us this week on the podcast. Yeah, so I'm going to get off. We've got a gin, gin night tonight. People are coming round. Um, if you can hear hoovering downstairs, the missus is on it. Um, a couple of people that are coming round are allergic to cats. We've got two little black cats. So we're going to scrub everything off, try and get rid of all the hairs to make people not face blow up. <laughs> That's the plan. Anyway, I'm mumbling. Right, guys. Thanks again. See you next week for the podcast. I've been Carl Maloney. It's been an absolute joy, and we'll see you next week. Cheers, guys. Welcome to RGM. Are you in a band? Come and join us. Simply click on the RGM submission page, submit your music, and we'll sort the rest. Hello. Did you know that you can support our podcast in many ways? Within the description of this podcast, you will see a list of all the equipment that we use. These are Amazon affiliate links. Clicking on these links take you to Amazon. If you buy whatever you're planning that week, we get a small kickback and you get a parcel at no extra cost. We would really appreciate your support. Or you can just go old school and donate a pound or whatever you feel is appropriate in there. Please subscribe. Tell a friend about our show. And thank you for your support. And we'll see you next week.